Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We may be seated. morning everyone you're lucky I'm coming up now as the music people are going down (laughs) so we're looking at 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 to 10 so right at the very beginning I'll just give you a minute to find it so we're still learning about David David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David said to Ahimelech, Don't you have any spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Morning, everybody. You're enjoying walking together through the book of Samuel? It's good, eh? Let's ask the Lord's help as we come to this particular part. Thank you, Lord, for walking us by the hand. As your children, Lord, we, just as a little child, Lord, we put our hand in yours this morning, that you would walk us through this story and that you would show us things we need to see and that you would help us to to walk with you in this world faithfully, dependently, joyfully, with peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at chapters 21 and 22. I'm not going to read all of what's covered. Sometimes I'll read, sometimes I'll um, just tell you, but I encourage you to read chapters 21 and 22 for yourself and make sure that just check whether what I'm saying to you is what 
um, is there in the scripture and perhaps there'll be other things the Lord might want to say to you as well. So last week David shared with us about this conversation between David and Jonathan, Jonathan being the king's son, King Saul's son and David says to Jonathan, why is your dad trying to kill me? And Jonathan says, look, I'd know if he was trying to kill you. And David says, well, can you just go and find out? Jonathan goes and finds out and he says, actually, you're right, my dad's trying to kill you. (laughs) So David takes off and he goes to Nob where he uh, enters the house, the, the, um, the tent where the priest Ahimelech was and um, as Di read for us uh, Ahimelech is kind of nervous about David coming on his own and um, David's after some bread and, um, and the story goes on but David goes from being someone who is as close to the inside of the royal circle as you could possibly be without being the king himself. So he's the son-in-law of the king. He's married to Saul's daughter. He's the captain of the bodyguard and he's highly esteemed by all the people and by all of Saul's servants. You can't get more on the inside than that, can you? Now, he's hasn't even got a weapon on him and he's forced to the outside of the country of Israel. He's taking refuge in Gath and then he goes from Gath to Moab and then he goes to a a cave and then he runs to the forest and he's on the run. He's gone from being as close to the inside to being as far on the outside as you can possibly get. What's it like Do you know what it's like to be on the inside? Do you know what it's like to be on the outside? I think we all experience that at various times and in various ways and to various degrees. When you're on the inside, you can enjoy a sense of importance, power, security, comfort. When you're on the outside, it's easy to feel lonely Powerless, forgotten, restless, desperate. Can you relate to these things? Christians have a mixed history of being either on the inside or being on the outside as we travel through this world. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does that sound like a fun time to be a Christian? Yep. If I could get into a time machine and go anywhere in church history, I reckon I'd go there. You wouldn't want to press the wrong button, though, and get your dates wrong because it's not too long in chapter 8... On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So here's the church on the inside, meeting in the temple and the synagogues, 
loved by all the people, seeing miracles, the things are growing, and now they're scattered. And this is church history. Sometimes the church is in a happy, kind of comfortable place. Other times, more often times, the church exists on the outside of society. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus lived most of his life as an outsider. When he was born, the king of his country, the king of Israel, tried to kill him. So he lived as a refugee in Egypt. Sound a bit like what David went through? The leaders of his community opposed him, increasingly opposed him, tried to undermine him and eventually plotted to have him crucified. We're also told that the religious leaders, those who were at the centre of the community in Jesus' day, also decided that if you acknowledged Jesus was the Christ, then you couldn't come to synagogue either. Do you remember the story of the man who was born blind? And he started to defend Jesus, but when they got his parents in, they didn't want to say anything. Because if they acknowledged Jesus, they said, you're no longer welcome here. And not being allowed in the synagogue means you're not just not allowed to come to church on Sundays. I mean, if David said to you after church, sorry, you're not allowed to come back next week, I mean, you could just sit home and put on the internet and, and watch church from somewhere else. But if you're at synagogue, well, we wouldn't want that to happen. We do want you here. I hope sending bad messages here, David. Take foot out of mouth. But for those in uh, first century Palestine, if you didn't, weren't allowed to go to synagogue, it's like you can't be part of the community anymore. You're no longer in the inside. You're in the outside. Where are we today? Well, if you like uh, rap music, you'll be pleased to know that suddenly the name of Jesus is a bit cooler than it used to be. Kanye West has just released his latest album called Jesus is King. And suddenly teenagers all over the place are talking about Jesus. So we're kind of a bit more socially less on the nose than we used to be, at least in some circles. We've got a Christian prime minister. He's very unashamedly Christian. So we're probably doing all right. We're not persecuted like some places. And some Tim Costello was quoted recently as saying, if you're feeling a bit persecuted in Australia today, then I might take you for a trip to some other countries and you might change your mind about that. Nonetheless, we do have... There are some disturbing trends. And um, the trajectory seems to be for us that... Christians are less and less welcome in the public discussion. We don't really want you at the table. That seems to be the trajectory. Who knows where it's going to go in the future. David has got some things to show us, I think. Regardless of where we are right now, the Lord says to us in... Uh, John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And Paul says to Timothy, Are you ready for an encouraging promise? This is one to put on your fridge when you get home. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's good for us to be prepared, do you think? And David's got some things for us to learn from.
this morning. So, first one. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. When David went to Ahimelech, the priest, he did some, what our English teachers would say is creative storytelling. I'm on this urgent mission from Saul and I haven't had time to get a sword, I haven't had time to get food, but could you give us some food because I've got to keep this a secret. It's urgent Saul business. It's um, urgent royal business. Was that the truth? He told a whopper, didn't he? And what happens next is that when David flees, we'll read in verse 11... Uh, we read in verse 10 that he flees to Gath. And in verse 11, um, King Achish, the servants of King Achish recognize David and they say, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Do you remember this song that wasn't really on Saul's top 10 list? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And so he leaves from there. But this is really interesting, isn't it? David's lying and acting. Is that the right thing to do? I'm not telling you, I'm asking you. (laughs) I remember reading this as a young fellow and David's talking to the priest and he's telling this lie and I thought, David, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. And my tender conscience, I thought, this isn't right. And actually, some of the commentators agree with me. Uh, One of the commentators I read last night said that um, David actually is responsible. Later on, we find that Ahimelech gets in big trouble and actually dies, along with all of his family and all the priests, because he helped David. And this commentator said, David's fault. He lied. He should have just been honest. And had integrity. What do you think? I think we should think. That's what I think. (laughs) Because Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. I think this is the point. We can wrestle with whether what David did was right or was wrong, but Jesus does say to us, I want you to be smart out there. And we need to think about how we act and how we speak, and more and more so as the world seeks to put us not only on the outside, but as Jim Wallace said to me a couple of years ago, he said, it looks like our culture is going from a place in the West, it's going from a place of putting up with Christians to being openly hostile to Christians. That's how he sees it. 
you may or may not agree with that. How are we going to behave? What are we going to say? I think Israel Falau, the Israel Falau issue is a good example of something to think through. I admire the man's courage and his integrity. Perhaps there might have been a different way of saying things. Not to judge his motives because I admire the man. But we need to think. We need to be wise, as Colossians 4, 5 says, we need to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. I'll give you another example. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian leader in the time of Hitler in Germany. He was an academic. His father was an academic. His family were very highly respected and well-to-do. They were very gifted musically. And... As Hitler came into power, his family lost everything and he was pushed to the outside. He became, he went, experienced something very similar to what David went through, from being right on the inside circle to being on the outside. And there came a point in time, he was actually at a cafe with a Christian friend when France surrendered to Hitler. And it came over the loudspeakers. And people were singing and dancing and jumping up on tables and Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, having a great time. And Bonhoeffer was not a cowardly man. In fact, he went on to join the resistance, attempted to assassinate Hitler and ended up um, dying as a martyr. So there's no question here about Hitler, about Bonhoeffer's courage and integrity as a follower of Jesus. But Dietrich's friend stood there gawking as Bonhoeffer singing, dancing and saluting along with everyone else. And his, his friend's kind of jaws down like this, gawking at him. As he stood there gawking, Bonhoeffer whispered to him, Are you crazy? Raise your arm. We'll have to run risks for many different things. But this silly salute is not one of them. Interesting? What would you do? I don't know what I would do. But we need to navigate somehow. The temptation to be cowardly is one temptation to navigate. But also being, being wary of being cavalier and careless in what we say and do on the other hand as well. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So David, he leaves Gath. This is chapter 22, verse 1. He left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. It's really interesting, isn't it? The country First he's in amongst the Philistines in Gath. Now he's in Moab. And he's making friends with the king of Moab and he's leaving his parents there. 
You know, Moab is listed first in chapter 14, verse 47. It says, after Saul had assumed a rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. First country on the list, Moab. Interesting, isn't it? If David had never been on the run, then he would never have made friends with the king of Moab. And he would never have been able to share with the king of Moab his confidence in the God who is in charge of all things. Did you hear what he said? Can my parents stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? God's in charge of what happens to me, David says to the king of Moab. There's a danger for us that the more we perceive that the world is against us, there is a temptation to shrink into our Christian bubble to bunker down and wait for Jesus to return. And this becomes more and more evident at times in the culture of the church that we become kind of this entity, irrelevant entity in ourselves that doesn't interact with the world anymore. This was not how David behaved when he was on the run. He was an outsider and he made connections with other outsiders. This is what Jesus did too. Jesus didn't seem to get along too well with the Pharisees and Jesus lived his life on the outside. But who did he make friends with while he was on the outside? A centurion, a Samaritan woman, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors. Did Jesus just say, come on disciples, we're just going to bunker down until this whole mess is over? Jesus the outsider connected with other outsiders. This is Paul's attitude as well. Do you know Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees and he was on the inner circle of his religious and political world. And he lost everything when Jesus got a hold of him. And he said, you know what? I just count all that stuff as rubbish that I may know Christ. And this is Paul's attitude in Colossians 4.3. This is what I read a little bit of before. Let me read the wider context of it. Pray for us too. Paul says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Does this sound like someone who's bunkered down waiting for Jesus to return? He's on the outside And he's looking for every opportunity to connect with other people around him. Let's be like that too. Did you notice what else happened with David? Not only is he making friends with the king of Moab, but others who are discontent, who are in debt or who are distressed, they're drawn to David like moths to a flame. He's like a magnet for troubled people. It's like outsiders find their security and their comfort and their assurance and their confidence in David. Leave me alone, I've got enough troubles on my own. Dale Skews might say something like that. Not David. When the one remaining priest flees, this is the verse that's on your bulletin, I think. When the one remaining priest 
when Saul kills all the priests, <clears throat> flees to David, David says, the one who seeks your life seeks mine too. You're safe with me. I'll look after you. When we suffer injustice, when people are against us, when we lose everything, the response of those who trust in Jesus is to turn their suffering into blessing. Think about the Lord himself. It actually blows my mind. But Jesus is on the cross in the most horrendous pain that you could imagine. And there is a man crucified beside him and Jesus reaches out to him and he is saved. Do you know, I've just got to have a bellyache and I want everyone to leave me alone. <laughs> but the love of Christ is so powerful that our suffering can turn into blessing to others if we trust in him. So all these people come to David. There's wonderful examples of this. Do you know David actually wrote psalms as well? Some of the psalms that are in our Bible are a result of this difficult time that David went through while he was on the run. Psalms, if you want to look them up, Psalm 18, Psalm 52, Psalm 54, Psalm 57, Psalm 59. All of them have little titles on them that indicate that this is the period of time when they were written and probably others too. I've got this great long list that I won't go through with you of people who wrote the most beautiful hymns at times of great suffering because they trusted in Jesus. The one I want to um, point out to you is Horatio Spafford who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. So Horatio was a very well-to-do businessman he was, he was in the inside circle. But he lost his, his two-year-old son died. Not long after that, the great fires of Chicago swept through and completely wiped him out economically. Left him with nothing. He was helping, uh, he had planned to help D.L. Moody, the evangelist, and um, he was going to go across on a ship to help out. He was a musician, um, but he had some things he needed to sort out um, with the great disaster that had fallen upon him, so he stayed behind and he sent his wife and his four daughters across the ocean. He gets a message by telegram from his wife, survived alone. The ship had collided with another, had sunk, and all of his daughters drowned. And he, when his opportunity comes, he gets in another ship and he goes across to be with his grieving wife. And as he gets to the place in the ocean where his daughters may have drowned, he writes this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. 
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And listen to this verse. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And for decades now, Christians have found great comfort and great encouragement from these words that were wrung out of such deep anguish and suffering and sorrow. A man who lost everything. He turned his suffering into blessing for us. He gets across the ocean. Story's not finished yet. <laughs> he has another son and another daughter. Did I tell you he lost with four daughters? Did I say that? He loses another child to scarlet fever. And he and his wife and um, I think it was his son that was left, they moved to Israel and they start a Christian community that's dedicated to serving the needs of Christians, Jews and Muslims. So I think the Lord would encourage us when we lose everything, if we are pushed to the outsides, don't spend too much time licking your wounds, but look for opportunities to turn suffering into blessing like Jesus did for us. Finally, let me tell you the rest of the story. So the prophet Gad comes out to David and he says, it's not safe for you. He goes to the cave, he goes from, from uh, Gath and he's been to Moab. Now he's in a, a cave which he called the stronghold where all the men came to him. And the prophet Gad says, it's not safe for you here. You need to go to Judah. So he flees to Judah and he hides in the forest. Now Saul in the meantime hears about David uh, he gets report of David's whereabouts and he's standing on a high place. Now a high place, once again my friend Jim Wallace would say, this is a, a very sh- good place to be if you are in a military situation. So he's in a high place, he's got his spear in his hand, he's surrounded by his men. This is a secure place, right? David's not in a secure place. David's looking after people. What's Saul doing? He's saying, none of you feeling sorry for me. All of you are against me. None of you tells me when my son Jonathan conspires with David. You're all out to get me. Is David going to be able to give you fields and riches like I've given you? And his soldiers are there thinking, do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about this. Have you been conspiring against Saul? And I haven't been conspiring against Saul. And he's completely paranoid and insecure. Isn't it fascinating, isn't it? And there's this fellow hanging around at the time called, I call him Dog. Um, Dog 
pronounces it more correctly than me, but I like to pronounce it dog because it kind of sounds like a southerner's way of saying dog. And he is a, he's a bit of a dog, this fellow. Because he hears all this ranting and raving from Saul and he says, Ah, oh, Saul, I've got some interesting information you might like to hear. Dog is an Edomite. He's from Edom. He's an outsider. And this is his opportunity to go from being on the outside to being on the inside. And he says, I saw David, actually. He was with Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech, the priest, he gave David bread and a sword and a word from the Lord. Thank you, Dog. Saul says. Let's see what Ahimelech's got to say for himself. So Ahimelech is summonsed and all of his household. Now you reckon Ahimelech was trembling before. He's got something to tremble about now. And Saul says, why are you against me? Why are you conspiring with David? Why are you providing my enemy with all the things that he needs and sending him on his way and not even telling me about it? And Ahimelech says, well, who is a more esteemed servant of yours, Saul, than David? David's the captain of your bodyguard. David is the one that, that, you, that you entrust. Is this the first time I've helped David out? No, he's your right-hand man. I don't know anything about what, what you're talking about. And Saul says to his guards, kill this guy. And they say, no, they're the priests of God. We're not killing this guy. Saul says to Dog, kill this guy. Dog kills Ahimelech and 85 priests that day. And then Saul sends him off and he says, I want you to deal with everyone else in that town too. And they go to Nob, town of Nob, and they kill every breathing thing. It's interesting, isn't it? That Saul, when the Lord told him to go and devote to destruction the Amalekites, he goes and he does half the job because he's afraid of his men. And now, when it serves his purpose of holding on desperately to his place in the inside, he is brutally thorough. Well, I think we make, and perhaps this is going to be a choice we're faced with more and more as time goes on, but I think we make choices, small or big, through life, one way or another. Will we be true to Jesus or will we establish ourselves more securely on the inside with the world? We don't always have to make that choice, but sometimes it's subtle and we do. And I think with shame about when I was in high school, um, about some of the foolish and cruel things I did to try and make sure I was well secured on the inside. But when Jesus got a hold of me, thank you God, when Jesus got a hold of me, I did all sorts of foolish things for the Lord. And I didn't care whether I was on the inside anymore. 
And I would get up at assembly and say, come to the Christian group, it's great. And my friends would say, I didn't even understand a word you said up there. (laughs) Silly skewsy. I didn't care. I was on the inside with Jesus now. And I remember talking to a guy at the jail who confessed to me that he would be cruel to other inmates in order to show himself as a strong man. But Jesus had touched this man deeply and he said, I don't do that anymore. He didn't need to do that anymore because he was on the inside with Jesus. So here's my question. Who is more blessed? Doge? who's now on the inside with Saul, with fields probably, with, with power, with privilege. Pretty good for an Edomite. Or David, huddled in a cave, cold, hungry, not knowing where he's going to be running to next. Who is most blessed out of those Two people. Because this is what will inform our choices in life. Who we consider to be most blessed. Let me read to you Psalm 52. The heading goes like this. For the director of music, a muscle of David, when Dog the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long? You who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. You who practice deceit. Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you. In the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. There's this quote that I love from Thomas Merton, and he said, People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success, only to find, once they reach the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. What good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? This is what Jesus says. We know the story, don't we? Dog's climbing this ladder that's leaning against Saul. And what happens? (laughs) There's no promise. There's no future with Saul. And he lies dead on a hill. Um, In just a few chapters time. What a waste of Dog's life. But those with David, that's where the future lies. That's where the hope is. If you're a follower of Jesus, wow. No matter what you go through as a follower of Jesus, 
How can you compare the hope that you have with what other people have? This is what Paul says, uh, actually James. Blessed is the one, James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Don't crawl to Saul. You like that little rhyme? And think about where your ladder is. It's supposed to be a picture of a ladder there. Oh. Imagine a picture of a ladder. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for extending to us a beautiful hope, a hope of eternal life through forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your very presence with us through all trials. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves day by day. Lord, that we would realise it when we are climbing up the ladder on the wrong wall and that we would choose moment by moment, day by day, year by year, until we see you again have all of our eggs in the Jesus basket no matter what that means in this world's eyes because our hope is in you